Hello everyone, for your listening pleasure and to retain your attention span, this episode of the AfriNuke podcast with Ryan Pickering is divided into two parts. Welcome to part one. I think the people listening to this podcast and the people in Africa who are building nuclear have an incredible opportunity to innovate far faster than the United States and even the United Arab Emirates. Welcome everyone to this episode of the AfriNuke podcast. On this podcast, we talk about different aspects of nuclear technology using the African voice. And on this episode, we have a very special guest who has traversed different aspects of uh, working in the energy space. He worked as a researcher uh, and an energy policy researcher that includes um, nuclear. He worked 13 years in distributed energy development with a focus on renewables with sun power and grid alternatives. He lived in solar powered yachts for seven years, so you can you can very much um, trust that you are talking with someone who is very much in touch with anything distributed solar energy or any kind of alternative solar solution. And in Africa, we are especially focusing on this uh, kind of solution. <laughs> And um, he's a crew facilitator for the U.S. Department of Energy consent-based siting program representing North Carolina State University. And also, he also works or kind of um, represents as well Mothers for Nuclear, which is a 501c3 nonprofit and tribal consent-based coalition. He's an independent researcher for UC Berkeley's NICE Club. He's an author of The Real History of Diablo Canyon and Renewables plus nuclear. I want to urge you all to listen up and have your questions handy because in the course of the discussion there will be time for questions and answers and hopefully this will be a very good way of starting out our day uh, in this part of the world where we are very close to the equator and I urge you all to yes come on and um, be very active and be very um, expectant it's going to be a very enriching discussion. I have talked with um, Ryan before and he's very, very much um, loaded with knowledge. And I very much trust that you will not get anything less than the best. Mr. Ryan, very nice meeting you. Please, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Thank you for that introduction, Jerry. Yes, everything you've said is true. I did live in a solar powered small home for seven years and you know it's all been part of my journey to understand how energy works i mean to me electricity and energy as a whole is almost like you know it's incredible it's difficult to understand Um, but i've slowly pieced it together and it all led me to cop 28 in the united arab emirates and i look forward to sharing some of the stories that i saw there some of the people i met there and exactly what's going on in this global conversation about energy in general and and nuclear energy specifically some people might be wondering what cop is and what it stands for what is cop and is the nuclear community becoming part of it yes so cop uh, stands for the conference of parties and it was originally started at cop one in berlin germany in 1995 Wow. And COP 
was an idea from the United Nations uh, group that deals with climate change. And so they thought we would bring people together on an annual basis at a different city every year and try to unravel the complexities surrounding climate change and I think even more broadly, like sustainable development around the world is, um, and there have been very famous cops over the years and cop three was uh, in Kyoto, Japan, and they passed the Kyoto protocol. And that was a very famous greenhouse gas reduction agreement. And then, then famously, there was Paris COP21 and the Paris Climate Accord that we've all heard of. And that was, you know, seven years ago now. And now we have COP28 in the United Arab Emirates. And that happened three months ago. And coming up, we have COP29 in Azerbaijan. Mm. So conference continues and it's about bringing representatives from every country from around the world to come together and try to understand and find agreements that we can all move forward on and hold each other accountable to. Why is the nuclear community becoming increasingly part of COP and more especially the last one, their presence was so much heavily felt this time? Yes, something amazing is happening, Jerry. The I call it energy realism. And as we all deepen our understanding of how energy works, the opposite of energy realism is energy blindness. And I do believe that humanity has allowed itself to become energy blind because this world is so difficult to understand and energy is all around us in everything that we touch almost there's been energy expended upon it and so this has allowed us to almost lose a sense of how much energy is in our society in our in the things that we interact with and the other side of that though is energy realism as we grow more wise and we understand where our energy comes from and understand the materials that make up our energy in our daily lives this gives us energy realism and the rise of energy realism has coincided with this new interest in nuclear energy a way to create incredible amounts of energy without the pollution that we know is killing us and without the costs that are making our society unaffordable because i think at the end of the day we are all concerned with climate change and pollution in the sky that we have to filter with our lungs but we're also concerned with the affordability crisis around the world if the if we don't have energy abundance then we won't have the resources to properly address climate change. And so I think COP is now becoming more than just a climate change conference. It's something about how to make energy affordable around the world so that we can all continue to thrive as humans and come together and try to achieve a post-war society. If there is anything that we need to think about, it's about how we can become more energy rich 
especially in this part of the world. And being energy rich means you are able to meet at least the basic energy needs that you have before becoming enabled to transit to maybe a more climate friendly kind of energy. But when we are now being called to the table of the climate or energy transition or clean energy options table, then it gives us a double-edged or double opportunity because we are in the journey to become energy rich. And here we are being told that, hey, guys, we know you need energy, but make it clean. And that gives us that um, opportunity that um, we were talking about before we started the conversation of leapfrogging. So it gives us the opportunity to get the best of both worlds. And that's a very big uh, credence to yeah, being in a global community. You were there at COP28 for 13 days. Tell us how this COP was configured. Like maybe somebody is just imagining in his mind uh, how this COP is, you know, from the beginning to the main events and uh, maybe maybe some special sections and maybe how is it divided how is it configured and how are people supposed to get a grasp i know somebody who is just like maybe not there yet or somebody who has not gotten a picture of what cop is may be there to get a full grasp but if you can give a back of the envelope summary of how this 13 days uh was for you how the cop is configured who can yes. participate in this event, Ryan? Yes. Well, let me try to paint a picture for those who haven't been to COP yet. This was my first COP and it was in Dubai, one of the most amazing cities in the world. And this city rose from the sand in 60 years. And the United Arab Emirates, you know, look them up on Wikipedia. It is an incredible country. And I was so grateful for the generosity of our hosts they were, they coordinated an incredible event. And I'm sure every COP has been amazing. I heard Egypt was amazing last year. And, but I, I must say that the backdrop of, of this COP with just hundreds of skyscrapers in the background, it's incredible. And this, where they held COP in, in Dubai was outside of the city center, a place called Expo 2020, a whole city that they had built for this 2020 expo that unfortunately, because of COVID, they didn't really get to use. Wow. And so this was the big event for Expo 2020, but it was in 2023 for COP. And 80,000 people from around the world came to COP. Wow. 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 80,000 people. And it was like a dream because this whole city was manufactured and there were solar panels in the architecture and there was incredible design and and landscaping and these incredible spaces and it's an enormous area it's like an amusement park wow and it's split into two areas the blue zone okay. and the green zone, the blue zone okay now, now the green zone is available is open to the public. You just download a ticket online and you go and you show your ticket and much of COP is visible from the green zone. There's a lot of interactive displays for young people. There's a, a bunch of sustainability from an energy farming Name ecosystem. So many things. Ecosystems uh, like uh, protection, food, art, exhibits. 
you know, so that's the open part. Then if you want to get to the blue zone, that's behind a big fence, a classy fence. Don't get me wrong. Um, the whole thing was world class, but you have to have a special badge and each badge, you have to get a new badge each day for the blue zone. And that's where all the high level negotiations and the country delegates and, the, you know, the hashing out of the final document of COP. And our group only had a few blue zone passes. So we did get to see behind the scenes. Cool. The uh, IAEA had a booth in the blue zone. So you could only visit the IAEA booth if you had a blue zone pass. And so I got to visit for one day, but I was in on the COP grounds for 10 days. I took a few breaks and one break was to hop on a bus and go see Baraka nuclear power plant, Fantastic. the newest nuclear power plant in the world wow. and that the United Arab Emirates built as a new a country new to nuclear in under 12 years wow. on budget or reactors. It's, it's over five gigawatt system. Fantastic. And, uh, I got to meet so many amazing people. I got to meet Grace Stanky, Miss America. I got to meet um, the folks who helped build Baraka. I got to meet Isabel Bemeke from Isodope. I got to meet Mark Nelson and all the people he knows. It was incredible. And, and I got to meet a few Nigerians, cool. some people from Ghana, some people from Sierra Leone, some people from Sudan some people from Kenya. Cool. So it was just this incredible coming together. And I hope that we made nuclear advocates proud. You know, there is nothing that is as um, good as having a place where you have a portfolio of people from different parts of the world coming. Although decisions are slow in that kind of setting, but you get to get the feeling of what it is to live in a multicultural, diverse world and uh, that's where the concept of inclusion and diversity comes to play a lot so you need to and there you find i was at cop in, in egypt i saw how diverse the, the community was and and great and interesting discussions were being done in that place and important things got done and people get to meet to make also very important decisions at this time and it really pleased me a lot to see how interested in you are to share your 13 days journey in this meeting and as you were narrating about your experience at baraka it struck my interest and i was like how was the feeling for you you know coming from the u.s where they had to they are currently having the two um, plant site in Voktul and the other one at vc summer and uh, it has stayed for quite a long time and it is yet to be completed yet somehow i feel the u.s is kind of um, indirectly connected to the project at uae because i know they there are some contractual agreements to supply some human resource but yet it got completed way faster than the the one in the u.s so what lesson did this bring to you or what kind of lesson are you learning or what kind of suggestion you would you like to make i know you may not have the in details but maybe from the feeling you had about how quick they were able to execute that project is there something the world starts to learn or yeah that we are also people who are planning to bring theirs online any lesson that they might want to pick from how expedited that project got to be online well all i can say is that i think the people 
listening to this podcast and the people in Africa who are building nuclear have an incredible opportunity to innovate far faster than the United States and even the United Arab Emirates. Fantastic. And I encourage everyone on this call to take an innovative approach to not just building nuclear infrastructure, but to, you know, rethinking the way we think about radiation safety, rethinking the way that we regulate nuclear energy, and really assigning the proper value to nuclear. And I wish that the United States was providing more leadership to Nigeria and other countries who are seeking nuclear. I, I am disappointed that the United States is not further along. And that that was a plan that the United States made to the world that we shared in the 1950s, 70 years ago. We said that we would share this technology with the world. And according to international law, every country in the world, well, every country who is following the Geneva Conventions, I should say, has the inalienable right to seek peaceful nuclear for their country. Yeah. And uh, so I am in solidarity with you as as you seek to bring nuclear infrastructure to your country to bring prosperity. Yeah. And I am here to hold my government accountable to do a better job and to provide more value to the world when it's exporting nuclear energy. And because I think that the, that we in the United States have allowed nuclear to become way too expensive yeah. and we've become way too obsessed with radiation safety. We know that nuclear energy is the safest form of energy on the planet. We know this. This is not new. And so it's time for the United States to get a little more serious. And I hope that you will take us more seriously in the years to come once we demonstrate a little bit more competency for nuclear energy in our own country. Talking about the U.S. coming to take responsibility in providing whatever uh, support is needed for uh, developing countries like Africa to bring nuclear in their energy mix, there is an important aspect, which is the financing. Uh, was there any kind, any kind of uh, discussion on financing energy transition? What was the tool like for nuclear? And I know there were this loss and damage conversation, but I did not know if there was any particular focus or kind of um, attention given to nuclear. Just give us an overview of what the financial commitment was like at COP vis-a-vis well, energy transition. We should go back and we should talk about day three of COP because on day three, rumors were flying around and a few of the members of our group were like, hey, we need to go to a special meeting. And uh, I wasn't invited because I'm just a regular person. But we kind of heard that a big announcement was going to be made on day three, early on in COP. And so we all took the day off and hung out by the pool at our hotel with our cell phones. And we just listened and waited. And all of a sudden in the WhatsApp, all these pictures start coming through. And this was like from Jennifer Avenayeda from Mexico and from Julia Galosh in Poland and Isabel Bemeki from the United States. They started, they started sending us these behind the scene photos of this white wall 
that says tripling nuclear energy by 2050 oh. and all these flags in front of it hmm. and we're like whoa <laughs> and then Julia Galosh took a picture of this document and it was this declaration and maybe we can link it in the show notes sure. but it was all these countries signing on to triple nuclear energy capacity by 2050 and it sh and we all just got on you know social media and started pushing the message out and the media picked up on it pretty well and um i think the world was hungry to see like a big nuclear energy announcement at cop that was different the cop in the past uh has not been focused on nuclear energy it's just been very focused on renewables only or maybe wind and solar only even and now with energy realism we're getting broader there was also a cop pledge to triple renewable energy by 2030 and that's easier to do right because sure. renewables are a little bit easier to build per megawatt hour yeah in my estimation as someone who's tried to build both but nuclear you know it takes some time so i love the wisdom of it and 26 years sounds like a long time but tripling nuclear energy in 26 years that's a tremendous challenge yeah. and so that happened 25 countries signed on there was a little bit of politics going on you know big nuclear countries did not sign on because of you know the united states being a bully and it is what it is you know and like and i think some of those you know some very famous nuclear states did not sign on and and that's okay because we know that the nuclear engineers behind the scenes are working hard and those countries are probably going to triple too and I hope this is something that we can bring the world together on in the future, because this is about world peace. You know, this is the opposite of nuclear weapons. This is life. This is prosperity. This is wealth. This is tackling climate change. And, you know, I, at least in the United States, the pro-nuclear movement is, is very focused on nuclear energy and not focused at all on nuclear weapons we don't think we need them we don't need weapons of war anymore we're above that as a species if we can end energy poverty and drive down the price of nuclear energy and other clean forms of energy and what are we going to fight about if we all have what we need you know yeah. and so sure, sure, that's sure. the <laughs> that's the dream that we're trying to put out and you know, I hope that the, again, I'm here to hold the United States accountable because they really led this pledge. And so it's time for the United States to, you know, put their money where their mouth is. This ends the part one of this episode. Be sure to listen to part two. It promises to be much more exciting and enriching. Oh.